we read Acts 12, 1 through 19, we stand to acknowledge that the Lord Jesus is speaking to us when we read his word. And this is his beloved message to us. Acts 12, verse 1. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and centuries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know what was being done by the angel, was re- that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left them. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. When they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, 
He examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now we're going to deal with Herod next week. We're told in verses 18 through 19 what he did after finding that Peter was no longer in prison. So the next time we turn to Acts, which is actually in two weeks, we'll, we'll deal with him. This story is not really about mainly Herod. Every story has conflict and question. What is going to happen? And that is summed up in verse 5. So Peter was in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made by God, or to God, by the church. This story is about a maximum security prison up against a church in earnest prayer. And the question that this story means to answer for us is can the weak prevail when they are up against the most powerful and ruthless people of this world? God, through the book of Acts, and especially in this passage, is confronting you and me on the topic of prayer. What do you believe about prayer? And does your life show that you believe this about prayer? The sermon in a sentence is heaven intervenes when the church intercedes. That's what Acts 12, 1-19 is teaching. Heaven intervenes when the church intercedes. First of all, we see alien power. Alien power in verses 1-11. through 11. Alien. Out of this world. Power. We're introduced in verses 1-5 through 5 to the conflict. It's a prison versus prayer. Herod the king lays violent hands during the days of unleavened bread leading up to Passover when people are gathering and flooding the city of Jerusalem to worship God on this holy day when they are celebrating how God saved them in order to worship Him in the Passover, in the Exodus. On this holy day, the king of the Jews lays violent hands on Jesus's, one of Jesus' three closest disciples, James. He beheads him. What this story is introducing us to is a wicked, wicked man who on a holy day is violent. And what the the story is telling us is that the Jews, look, they're just like him. The irony of coming to worship God and 
and committing evil, when he beheads James, he sees that the Jews are pleased, and so he sets up the grand finale of the worship. He gets Peter, and you know what he's going to do when he presents Peter to the, king, to, the, to the people who love beheading of Jesus' disciples. So, verse 5, he was kept in prison. Peter was kept in prison in this way by this wicked man with all of his power. But the church is praying earnestly. Is there a resource for the powerless? Is there anything you can do when you are completely out of control? Is there any recourse for the persecuted, for the pilgrims who are like sheep in this world of wolves? Notice what the church does. When they gather together, they're not plotting the assassination of King Herod. They're not planning to defect and find another place to live. They're not trying to figure out how they can rescue Peter. They are instead eagerly earnest, eager, intense, fervent, constant, pleading. That's what they're doing. Lord, you save me. We saw what they did to James. They beheaded him. We hear what they're going to do with Peter. They're going to behead him. So I wonder, whenever, whenever you get one of those letters in the mail where someone is about to go overseas, and then they always say a couple of things. They say, you know, obviously we need some money to help us make sure this happens, but really what's more important to us is prayer. I wonder how you read that part of the letter when they say what's most important to us is prayer. You think, you want my money. I wonder how you feel whenever you are absolutely desperate and you've got real needs and one of your brothers or sisters in Christ comes up to you and says, pray for you. How does that make you feel? This passage tells us that the best thing we can do, one of the sentences we should say more than any other sentence in our life is, will you pray for me? Will you pray for me, please? I'm really saying that. I'm not just saying that you should say that. Will you pray for me? That's the thing I want most from you, my church. Pray for me because of what God does. Verses 6 through 10, we meet the main characters. It's all the king's men versus one angel. This is high drama. 
And, and, and Luke wants you to feel great drama. James is dead. And the people who killed him have now Peter in their hand. And they wrapped around him not one chain, but they wrapped two chains around Peter. The murderers have done this. And they've placed two guards at the door, and the other two guards in the squad, one's on the right side of Peter, and one's on the left side of Peter. And not only that, every three hours they're going to change squads. So there's no way that they're going to fall asleep. There's no way that they're going to not be fresh and alert. No one's going to break this guy out of prison. So Peter, what, what would you do when you're that secure in your execution? There's nothing else to do but sleep. What are you going to do? Might as well rest. Except that it's Passover night. On that very night. When Herod was about to present Peter to the people on Passover. This is the night of Passover. And so, people who are paying attention should be expecting a couple of things. Because it's Passover Eve. First of all, we should expect that Peter's going to sleep like a rock. That's what he does on Passover Eve. We've seen him do this before. Before. In fact, the, the last time that Luke used the words earnest prayer was offered was at the end of Luke. And in that gospel where Jesus is in Gethsemane, and he goes up to Peter and James and John and says, will you pray for me? Don't sleep. Pray for me. Lest you be tempted. And you remember what Peter did on the eve of Passover when they were surrounded by armed guards. Peter was sleeping. Luke tells us Jesus was earnestly praying. In other words, on Passover Eve, we should expect Peter to sleep like a rock and Jesus not to be sleeping like a rock. See the sacrificial Son of God who does for His people what they refuse to do for Him. Peter wouldn't do it. Jesus was doing it then, and now he's giving himself in this moment to earnest prayer. His church is praying while Peter is sleeping, and he is giving himself to those prayers. Beloved, this is our Lord Jesus. This is our Savior. He will do for us what we would not do for him. And he takes away from us What we deserve, which is pain, which is execution, which is judgment that he's taking away from Peter here. This is the Lord Jesus. 
He takes away from us only the pain that we deserve, that He doesn't deserve. He takes it upon Himself, like He did in Gethsemane, so that He might give to us what only He deserves, the favor of God. After taking away the pain of execution on the cross, He gives to us God Himself. What is Jesus doing right now? Peter comes to confess what he's doing in verse 11. The Lord in Acts is a reference to Jesus. And here, he's not sleeping. He is the one who, Psalm 121, never sleeps and never slumbers. He's always helping. And so Peter has met his match in Herod. And so he's unconscious. He's really unconscious. He's so asleep that the the light shines and he doesn't wake up. He hears the voice of an angel, which I'm guessing is not very soft, and he won't wake up. uh, Luke is making the point just how inactive Peter is, how unconscious he is, what role he's playing in this. The angel has to whack him. He strikes him, and that's a word in the Bible for being hit very hard. There is no chance on earth that Peter is getting out of this. Unless there's a power that comes from outside of earth. An alien kind of power. Peter does nothing. The chains, when he finally wakes up, and he doesn't even fully wake up at this point, the chains just fall off of him, Luke says. And then when he gets to that gate, after he's kind of escorted past one guard and two, when when he gets to that iron gate, it opens of its own accord. All the king's men are powerless against one of Jesus's. And so we learn about prayer. A heavily guarded prison is no match for answered prayer. But there's a second thing that we are reminded of on this Passover Eve. On this Passover Eve, an apostle needs to escape. Think about it. It's Passover. Now, if you are someone who needs charity, if it's the Great Depression, I can kind of understand why you're jaded, why you're skeptical, why you're cynical, why you're not expecting anything. But if you need charity and it's Christmas time and the economy is roaring, if you're cynical then, you're just a Scrooge. You're just bitter. The festivities of Passover should have clued us in, should have clued Peter in. And yet, 
when he's escaping the prison, we are explicitly told he didn't think it was real. He thought he was still asleep. This has to be a dream. This can't really be happening in the middle of the night of Passover. When, in the middle of the night, God's angel of death is is passing over the Jews and killing the firstborn sons of, of Egypt so that Pharaoh then says, you can escape now. This is the one thing that has to happen to make them escape. They could not escape. They could not get out of the hand of Pharaoh until Passover. And so verse 11, Peter, it says, comes to himself. He finally is fully alert and believing what is actually happening. That angel came from the Lord Jesus. He doesn't credit the angel. He credits the one who sent the angel. He says, Jesus, and notice it's the words of Exodus. It's the words of Passover. He rescued me from the hand of Pharaoh. That's the words of Exodus. From the hand of Herod and the execution that the Jews wanted. So listen. If you're someone who struggles to believe, if you're someone who only will believe what you see, understand this. All that you see is not all that there is. What that means is you may not see the evil king. You may not feel his chains. But you are bound. And you are being held for a day of judgment and execution that is coming. You are bound by an enemy, but the execution that you are going to face is what everyone in Egypt faced the night of Passover. The angel of death came from God, not from Pharaoh. And he would, and he, he did. He killed every single firstborn son. Just killed them. And he would have done that to every Jewish firstborn son if they had not the blood of the Lamb. Learn from this that you need Passover. You need for your sins to be passed over. You need for the judgment of God to pass over you. And the only way it happens is the blood of a lamb. When God sees the blood of His Son on the cross, He passes over everyone who's trusting in Him. Let me plead with everyone here. You cannot win against Look at Herod. Look at his maximum security prison. All the king's men. You will not defeat him. What do you think is going to happen when you die? If you are still in your sins and not worshiping and trusting in the Lord Jesus, what do you think is going to happen when you face So let me encourage you to escape by prayer. Right now, where you are, you don't have to talk to me later. You can, but you don't have to talk to me. Talk to Jesus and confess your sins and ask Him to forgive you and trust in Him alone and He will save you. 
If you are a believer in Jesus, Peter is sampling something here that we will all experience. Everyone in Christ will be rescued from every evil deed, every evil hand in this world. Now, that doesn't mean every single thing we face, we will never have to endure evil. But ultimately, he is going to rescue us out of this world. That's why we hear the words of Exodus and why we're being told about the way of Exodus. Rescue comes the same way for us as it did for Israel and Peter, through prayer. Listen. Exodus 3, I have heard their their cries and I have come down to rescue them. Heaven intervenes when the church intercedes. Point number two is in verses 12 through 19. And what I want you to see here is answered prayer is amazing. It is amazing. Look at verse 14. Peter goes to this house of prayer where the the people are gathered, the church is gathered to pray at this house and he's standing at the gate. And verse 15 They get this report from this girl. Peter's out there standing at the gate. And they said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept on insisting. And they kept on saying, it is his angel. It's not him. The church prayed for this fervent. And the girl sees him and is overjoyed because what they asked for, they received. And then they will not believe that they received what they had been requesting. Constantly, intensely, fervently asking, save him, Lord. Save him, only you can do it. Save him, Lord. And the girl says, he's saved. And they say, there is no way. You are crazy. And so they finally see him and they're they're amazed. And then they they cannot believe this. Verse 17, something unbelievable has happened. And, And so the crowd is going wild in verse 17. And he has to motion, please, please, please be silent. I've got to tell you something. This is how the Lord Jesus brought me out of the prison. And before I leave, I need you to know that. But you need to tell James, who's the leader of the church in Jerusalem, the brother of Jesus. And the other brothers, everyone needs to hear this truth. In other words, our passage comes to us. Listen, I'm telling the brothers right now. He said, tell the brothers. And so I'm reading this. And I say, okay, the brothers and sisters are here. This is what they have to hear. Peter, before he leaves, he is seeking to convince them. And you need to be convinced of the alien and amazing power of prayer. So, three calls to prayer from this prison break. 
three calls to prayer from this prison break. First of all, the message doesn't stop with the church in Jerusalem. It's been told to me, the preacher, and it doesn't stop with me, the preacher. I have told the brothers and sisters of this. And so you need to tell the brothers and sisters about prayer. You need to be in relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ. And you need to be talking to them about prayer. I'll just take for granted that if you're a Christian, you are in relationship with other Christians, and you know that Jesus wants you to teach them things. And here we're confronted with the question, what do you believe is essential for Christians to know? I know you're excited to see me, Peter says. I I get it, I get it, I get it. I need to tell you something. I'm sure you probably would list the Bible. You've got to teach the Christians about the Bible. You, You should be teaching the Christians about the church and how... We're proven to be disciples by our sacrificial love for the church. You need to be telling them about now that they're on a mission from Christ to then make more disciples and teach other people. But Peter has to get a message across to them and then to James, the leader of the church, and then to the rest of the church. And that is, Almighty Jesus, Almighty Jesus can get to His people. And he can thwart all the schemes of the enemy. He can do it. And he does it when he gets word. That's the lesson. So the book of Acts is teaching us this. We've seen this before. We'll see it next time we're there. Jesus' word is triumphing over every. His word just goes out. It doesn't matter what people do to the church who preach the word. It doesn't matter. It just keeps on triumphing over every enemy. But the book of Acts is also teaching this. It's not just Jesus' word that is triumphing. It's the church's words that are triumphing through prayer. When they get word to the Lord, He acts. So my appeal to you, if you're a member of Redeemer Church, is you should concern yourself with the prayer lives of the other members of this church. You should be talking to them about what they believe about prayer and how they're committed to prayer. Number two, come to yourself. Wake up. Like Peter in verse 11, came to himself about prayer. Come to yourself about prayer. The answers that Jesus gives are amazing. You may use that word a lot. Luke doesn't. Luke used that word when the church got Jesus back from the dead. They were amazed. Luke reserves this word for events like Pentecost whenever people who don't speak Spanish or German or French ever a day in their life, all of a sudden, because the Spirit falls, they're, able, they're fluent. They start using their words 
to talk about Jesus. That's, that's when Luke says things are amazing. He uses the word amazing when a zealot like Saul, who's totally committed to the Jews, totally against the Christians, becomes a Christian. They were amazed. And when they received Peter back from the dead, they were amazed. This is what I mean when I say answered prayer is amazing. It is almost too good to be true. Almost. It's like, a dream, like we're dreaming. Uh, this cannot be real, Peter says. It's like we're deluded. Woman, what are you talking about? He's knocking on the door. That's too good to be true. Prayer does that kind of stuff. Otherworldly cannot happen any other way in this world. If you're a Christian, you do not just accept the things of this world, the events of this world. You believe that something more can happen, that amazing things happen. Alien power invades. It comes down when earnest prayer goes up. What cannot happen in this world happens through prayer. Don't be cold-hearted, Christians. Don't be doubting, ho-hum, Scrooge Christians. Just doubt that any this, this good that is too good to be true in this world, all the experts have reported this, it can't be done. Don't, don't believe that. What cannot happen in the world, that's why I use the word amaze happens through prayer. And I'm not trying to make you believers in prayer exactly. Why is prayer so powerful? Because who we're talking to is that powerful. The Lord Jesus can hear and reach. Jesus acts when His church asks. I'm just so desperate for us to, I think we are a church of prayer. I think we're a people of prayer. I want more and more and more because I want Jesus to act more and more and more. So I want you to ask for more. I want you to ask like them fervently, but thirdly, I don't want you to amen like them. Don't amen like them. Amen means we agree. It's what, it's what the people who have not been leading in prayer say. It's not what the person who's leading in prayer says. Of course he agrees with what he just said. You say it. Say it if you agree. But don't say amen if you don't believe what you've just prayed. You can save him, Lord. You can do it. Knock. Knock, knock. Well, let me tell you who that not, is not. I'll tell you the one person who's not at the gate. And I have these moments. I had one a few Sundays ago. I'd been asking the Lord to do certain things that only He can do. And I realized when they happened, I was too surprised. I did not believe. I knew when I was praying, of course you can do this. There's, there's something about in prayer. We, we get our theology right in prayer. We're talking to the right person. We're asking for the right things, hopefully. 
But there's, it's possible to get, our, get everything right in prayer, and then we say amen, and then we just start living like we don't believe anything. We're not looking for anything we asked for. Beloved, thou art coming to a king. Large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such none can ask too much. He's a king of heaven and earth. You can't out-ask Him. This isn't just what you're asking for. This is how you ask and how you amen. What you do after. Our King deserves only one kind of prayer. Heart full. A heart that is completely committed. He deserves earnest prayer, but He also deserves real expectation. Earnest prayer and real expectation. Who was out of their mind? It wasn't the girl. It was the church. Redeemer, we need to believe that heaven intervenes when the church intercedes. If you want more of Jesus, if you're someone who wants to see more of what He can do, what He can do, you need to ask Him more. And you, you probably need to ask more of Him. And so I think this, this passage then calls us not to accept even a hint of, of, of prayer feeling like we're just talking to ourselves. I don't know what was going on in that house when they were praying. We're not just talking to ourselves. There's not just a long portion of the service where Ryan just gets up there and talks to himself. We're talking to the sovereign of the universe. And so there are two extremes to avoid whenever we say amen. And one extreme is, I will only accept from him a yes. But the other extreme that we have to avoid is, I will only expect from him a no. And both of them have to be avoided. Look, Jesus is God. You can't force Him to do anything. You must accept no's from Him or or not yet's from Him. But this other truth is just as true. Jesus is our God. And so you should not doubt His kindness or His ability. Listen, unbelief is the kryptonite of prayer. When we ask small things, when we think we're just talking to ourselves, when we're not really believing it while we're praying or after we're praying, it's like going up to Superman and said, can you help me? Can you save me? Here's some kryptonite. That doesn't mean that our unbelief can literally stop Jesus from doing what Jesus wants to do. It didn't hear. But His grace and His mercy should not abdicate which should not lead us to just be irresponsible in the way that he wants us to pray. He's so merciful and gracious that he answers the prayer that they didn't even expect him to answer. You need to believe. Listen, 
I'm not saying you should bring out your faith gauge when you pray. Am I believing enough? What I'm saying is you should bring out your Jesus gauge. When you're praying, you think about who you're talking to. You think about what he's like and what he's able to do. And you fill your mind with that. You need to believe he is not dead. You need to believe that he has ears. And he's listening. You need to believe he has angels. If you belong to Jesus, you are beloved by Jesus. And if you believe that, what do you think he's going to do if you beg? For the right things that he's promised to give. Faith-filled prayer moves Jesus. So ask for amazing, I'm looking to you, Lord, to do what no one else in the world can do. Amazing power and expect Him to answer. Church, we will miss the book of Acts if we miss this truth. The Lord's hand comes down when ours go up. It's taught over and over again. And here, prayer pried open the hands of the powerful. What are you going to do when the worst of the world falls upon the beloved. Here's another question. Where will you be when the church is gathered to pray? Heaven intervenes when the church intercedes. Oh God, we ask that you would cause us to believe the truth. That we would be filled with faith in Jesus. That what we expect from the world should not determine what we expect from our Lord. Give us faith in Jesus and therefore pray. And we ask this in your name. Amen.